You're listening to the Christ Church Toronto podcast, a recording of the Sunday sermons from Christ Church Toronto. Christ Church Toronto is a new church in Toronto's East End that seeks to practice the ancient Christian faith today. We would love for you to join us in the future, but until then, please turn your attention to the scripture reading. Today's scripture reading is from Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 to 9. Seeing the crowds, he went up to the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. This is the word of the Lord, and it is given to the church for our good. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me as we open God's word together? Our Father, we come to you as the giver of life and every good thing. And we come to you utterly reliant on you to do a work of power and transformation in our lives, and our hearts. We need it. Father, we confess that we're not the people that we ought to be, and yet your promise to us is that you're making us into the people that you call us to be, and you're doing this by the power of your word and spirit at work in our lives, and we ask that you would do this work again with power, even today, under the hearing of your word. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Well, those who were with us last week know that we began uh, an exploration of the Beatitudes, uh, the blessings of Jesus, the, the, the blessings of the kingdom of heaven that Jesus proclaims over his people, which are less about what we're to do, you know, less about uh, this is what you need to do, and more about uh, who are the kinds of people who are actually blessed in God's kingdom. And we considered the first four of these famous Beatitudes, blessed are the poor in spirit, Jesus begins, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. These are the first four of Jesus' promised blessings. And this week we turn to the next three. And what you'll notice here, as we consider this in reference to the whole of the Beatitudes, is that the first four of these Beatitudes conclude with blessedness linked to righteousness, and the last four conclude with blessedness linked to righteousness, uh, which is what we'll consider next week in verse 10, blessed are those persecuted for righteousness' sake. And it shouldn't be a surprise to us that these Beatitudes, these words of blessing, are related throughout to righteousness. Okay. Blessing linked to righteousness. After all, according to the Bible, the blessed man is the righteous man. Okay. This is a strong link in the scripture. Uh, uh, this is what it means to be blessed, is to be the righteous person. Okay. Uh, doing right, even in the face of opposition. Right. This is not, um, blessing is not the carefree life. In the scriptures. This is maybe a way that we've come to think about blessing. That uh, The person who's blessed is the person who everything goes well for them. 
Right? Uh, everything just falls in line. That's the blessed life. But no, not in the scriptures. In the scriptures, blessing is tied to righteousness, to the righteous life. Right? Doing right, even in the face of opposition, even in the face of oppression, that still in the, in the scriptures is called the blessed person. The person who, even in oppression, even in difficulty, even in great challenge, is the person who is righteous and does what's right. And I think, you know, we, we see and know intuitively something of this connection between blessedness and righteousness when we consider some of the great uh, films I just, uh, I just um, or works of literature. I just finished reading through the whole of the, the Hobbit and then Lord of the Rings with, with my kids. They probably didn't understand any of it. Um, but I read it to them anyways. Uh, and of course, you know... Um, Life is not easy for this uh, Fellowship of the Ring, right? Uh, life is not easy here, but, but we sense that these people are onto something. We, these people are onto something that is the blessed life. And, of course, the way it ends is, uh, uh, spoiler alert, is in, in a happy way. You know, things, things go well in the end, in case you don't know. Um, but, but we know this, that, that there's actually something to suffering, even for righteousness' sake, which is commendable, which is beautiful, uh, which is desirable. Right, the blessed life linked to that life that is righteous and just and good. Okay, and of course, we find this everywhere in the scriptures. Psalm 1 is probably the classic place where we see this link. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. Right? And that, the way that that psalm comes to a conclusion is the Lord knows the way of the righteous. Right? The blessed man is the righteous man whom the Lord knows and loves, sets his love upon. Okay, uh, this is the one that the Lord knows, the righteous one, but the way of the wicked will perish. The righteous man is the blessed man. Okay, and we can think of several other Psalms and Proverbs which state this maybe in some ways, uh, well, just as or more explicitly. For you bless the righteous, O Lord, says in Psalm 5. Blessed are they who do righteous at all times, as it says in Psalm 106. The Lord's curse is on the house of the wicked, but he blesses the dwelling of the righteous, it says in Proverbs 3 and something similar in Proverbs 10. The blessed person again and again is revealed as the righteous person. Okay. Blessing accompanying the righteousness of God. And in a world that associates blessedness, not so much with righteousness, but with, um, with comfort, with ease, things going well for us, with pleasure, uh, with being somebody who has rather than somebody who has not. This is a strange kind of blessedness, is it not, that we're told of in these Beatitudes. It's a strange kind of blessedness. What do you make of it, these kinds of blessings that Jesus offers? Well, my suspicion is that some of us here today, if we're honest, want nothing to do with these blessings, with these so-called apparent blessings, that actually, deep down, you think that these blessings, as they're given here by Jesus, are curses. Okay. Or at least they're absurd. And they don't fit with your idea or my idea of what it is to be blessed. To hunger and thirst for righteousness as a blessing. To be merciful. Somebody who's prone to be taken advantage of. To be pure. To be a peacemaker. To be poor, spiritually impoverished. This is to be blessed? Uh, come on. No thanks. I choose comfort. <laughs> I choose comfort over poverty any day. I choose pleasure over purity. Accumulation and self-preservation over mercy 
safety, and self-interest over peacemaking. Don't you? Don't you? And yet, Jesus presents a strange claim, and it's this. That for all those who are either unable or unwilling to secure our own blessing in our own way, for our own purposes, uh, for all who are unwilling or unable to secure our own blessing, but, but are utterly dependent on God to be blessed, for all those who, are utterly de- who place ourselves at the feet of God for his blessing, that such people, that for such people, there is a great blessing indeed. For all the poor and impoverished, for all those who mourn, again, unwilling to comfort ourselves with anything but the comfort of God and all his promises and all of his comforts that he gives, for all who are meek and unwilling to misuse power in the name of our own comforts, for all who are hungry and thirsty for righteousness, for the righteousness of God to reign in the earth, There is good news for such as these, for people who are utterly dependent and impoverished before God and in need of his blessing. There's good news. And the three dimensions to this blessing that we see in our passage today uh, are these. These are the ones that we're focusing on for our consideration. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Here, the blessed person is the righteous person, and the righteous person is the merciful, the pure, and the peacemaker. Let's consider each of these in turn. First, the merciful will receive mercy. Verse 7, blessed are the merciful, Jesus says, for they shall receive mercy. As Pastor Kyle said last week, It's not always easy to know what to make of these Beatitudes or how to define them. And it's easy to fill them in with our own meaning, uh, our own sense of what it is to be merciful. And so I thought one good way of getting at uh, the meaning of what what Jesus is after here is to look at the ways in which the word mercy unfolds in this gospel according to Matthew. Who are these blessed merciful in the gospel according to Matthew? Well, in Matthew 9, we hear this. We hear Jesus calling a man named Matthew. Okay, uh, likely the, the author himself of this gospel. Uh, the tax collector. Jesus calling this tax collector. Of course, um, some of you know that tax collectors were not um, people who were very fond of in Jesus' day. Okay, they were um, Jews who were elected by the Roman officials to do their dirty work, collect taxes. It was a place of privilege. Uh, maybe something in the way that we could think of uh, corrupt law enforcement officers today. Uh, is the way that, that uh, people might have felt about these tax collectors. They were outsiders, social outsiders. They, they, they didn't want anything to do with them, these corrupt overclass. Uh, and we're told that Jesus calls this tax collector, come and follow me. And Matthew gets up and he follows, and this is what we're told in the following verses. And as Jesus reclined at table in the house, being Matthew's house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Why is he associating with these people? Tax collectors and sinners. But when Jesus heard it, he said, Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. 
For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus is here quoting Hosea chapter 6. For I desire mercy, or the word, uh, Hebrew word chesed, okay, uh, the word translated often steadfast love. Okay, this is what I desire, says the Lord. I desire mercy, steadfast love, covenant faithfulness, and not sacrifice, says the Lord. For Jesus, to treat some as second-class citizens, too far from God, not worth it, is to be one who shows themselves to be, proves themselves to be, one who lacks mercy. Yes, these Pharisees were willing to give. They made all kinds of sacrifices. We know this. They went to church, as it were. They gave their money. They prayed and they fasted. They made all kinds of sacrifices. Meticulous about keeping the law in certain respects. But as Jesus says later, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, he says. You hypocrites. For you tithe mint and dill and cumin. In other words, they, they give a tenth of everything that they have. Not just, not just the whatever other income comes in, but every, every resource that's coming in. They pay a tithe of it. Okay? Meticulous in their law keeping. He goes on, you've neglected the weightier matters of the law. Justice and mercy and faithfulness. Okay? Sacrifice they're willing to give without mercy, without steadfast love and faithfulness. To be merciful, we find, in this context, is to be the kind of man or woman who eats with sinners, who eats with sinners, who has fellowship with the outcast, who has time for the undesirable, not so worried about the impact that that person's going to have on them and their social reputation, getting dirt on them, but to be concerned with them. This is who the merciful are. Uh, The merciful are those who are full of steadfast love, towards those around them. Perhaps an interesting question that's raised for us is, who do you eat with? Uh, With whom do you have fellowship? Are you willing to identify yourself with those who may tarnish your image, with those who may not be able to repay you, to pay you back for a gift of grace, and so be called merciful? A few chapters later then, in Matthew 12, we find Jesus quoting the same passage from Hosea. And this time in the context of his disciples going out on the Sabbath, or on the day of rest, picking the heads of grain and eating them, and the Pharisees get upset about this. Okay, the Pharisees see them, and Jesus says to them, If you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. Okay, another use of this word mercy. And here we find, that those who are not merciful are those who condemn the guiltless. And it's worth asking of ourselves at this point. Are you quick to point out faults in others? Are you quick and harsh in your judgments, evaluating by the letter of the law and dismissing the spirit or intent of the law? Are you willing to sacrifice and to sacrifice and to sacrifice some more? to do more, to do better, uh, to set a high standard for yourself and then to keep it and to celebrate the fact that you do better than others around you. But in all of this, fail to love, fail to be merciful, fail to extend mercy or steadfast love. To be merciful, it turns out here, is to love with the steadfast love of God which leads to right judgments, right? Uh, when, when your perspective of others around you in all of their actions 
is not a disposition of love and care towards them. It's very easy, easy to be critical, very easy to criticize. We can always find something to criticize in another person. But here in the Gospels, love covers a multitude of sins. To be merciful is to love with the steadfast love of God. We'll do one more story. Then there's the story of Jesus in Matthew 18 of the king who wished to settle his accounts with his servants. Okay, and here's another one where mercy comes into view. And, and this, of course, is in response to Peter's asking about how many times he has to forgive somebody who sinned against him. Right? Is it seven times? And, uh, and Jesus ups the ante. Here's what he says. When the king began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. Okay, um, servant can't pay the king. King's upset. King says, you're going to be sold, you and your family. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring the king, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. Uh, earlier it says, this is a debt of 10,000 talents, which is, I think, something like $5 billion is the modern equivalency, okay? Just an exorbitant amount, amount of money. But, we're told, when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a 100 denarii, much less. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he, would, he should pay the debt. Now, when the fellow servants saw what had taken place, it says, they were greatly distressed and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Some would call this snitching. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? So also, Jesus says, my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. And here we come to the crux of it, of what it means to be merciful. And that is to be one who is so profoundly shaped by an experience of the mercy of another Okay, uh, by an experience of the loving kindness of another, steadfast love of another, that you cannot help but offer that mercy to another in need. And more than that, we find here, that to not be merciful toward others is to prove yourself to be one who has not, in fact, received mercy, and so shall not receive mercy. Blessed are the merciful, Jesus says, for they shall receive mercy. Mercy. Those who shall receive mercy are those who have been so shaped by mercy that they are in fact merciful and go into the world as those who give mercy to others. Steadfast love. Okay. This is those who are blessed. Blessed are the merciful. Those who befriend the lowly and sinners, outcasts, enjoy as fellow sinners in need of grace. Those who are full of steadfast love. For whom sacrifice, sacrifice can only serve steadfast love. Okay. It can never be the other way around. 
Now, now, maybe it's worth clarifying here. There's nothing wrong with sacrifices. What's interesting is throughout the scriptures, God continues to expect sacrifices of all kinds right, in the sacrificial system. Uh, God continues to expect acts of obedience, okay? uh, formal righteousness. This is what God expects. Oh, boy. That's, that's my son, for those who don't know. Uh, where was I now? Right, nothing wrong with sacrifice. Oh, right, okay, but it's those who do sacrifice as an end to itself, as an end in itself. That's where things become problematic, right? If you think um, just by doing the work of of sacrificial giving, right, doing the work of tithing, doing the work, if you do this without a heart of love for God and for neighbor, then all of this uh, becomes useless. Uh, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Second, and we'll move quicker on these next points. The pure in heart will see God. Blessed, it says in verse 8, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. As we see later in Matthew, those who are pure on the inside are contrasted with the Pharisees. We see this in Matthew 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence, you blind Pharisee. First clean the inside of the cup and the plate and the outside, that the outside may also be clean. Uh, you see, the Pharisee here, in relation to Christ, had settled for the appearance of righteousness, as Jesus goes on to say. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Okay? This is contrasted with that inner purity, the inner cleanliness. What God is after and what God has always been after is the purity of the whole person. Okay? Not the outward acts, but the purity of the heart. To be pure in heart, uh, beginning with the heart. And this, again, is nothing new. Right? Jesus is very much repeating uh, what has already been promised in terms of God's blessings in the Old Testament. As David prayed, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Or as Ezekiel prophesied, I will sprinkle clean water on you. And you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses, and from all your idols I will cleanse you. God's plan has always been to purify a people for himself. Okay, this is what the whole sacrificial system was about, right? offering uh, sacrifices at the temple. This is what all of the work of the temple and its worship were all about, making people clean so that they could again commune with God, the God who is holy and other and righteous and good. How do unclean, Unrighteous people come into contact with the Holy God through sacrifice. We offer sacrifice in order to be cleansed, to be purified, that we might again enter into covenant communion with our God. This is God's plan, and it's what his plan has always been, to purify a people for himself. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they are the ones who shall see God. And this blessing promises that those who are pure, those who are pure-hearted, what we might call sincere, okay? not hypocrites like the Pharisees, motivated by, lo- uh, by, loving, uh, by love for God and for a neighbor, are those who will in fact see God, those who will have communion with God. It's those who are pure in heart. Third, peacemakers will be called sons of God. You can look at verse 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. The peacemaker here, is the one who works 
for a peace which God is already on mission to accomplish. Right? Uh, this is the peace that God himself has promised to accomplish. And this uh, peacemaking is not so much uh, an inner peace. Very rarely, if ever, can we see the biblical notion of shalom, um, uh, the biblical notion of peace as this inner um, serenity or peace, but rather peace is everywhere a social term. Okay, it, has, it has to do with restoring brokenness of relationships between God and between neighbor. Right? And this is what God is about. This is what God is doing in the world. Is he's working to restore peace. Um, now, it's worth saying that part of God's own establishment of peace, his promise of peace, involves a war. It involves a war against sin and wickedness and everything that would stand in opposition to accomplishing true peace, true and lasting peace. But notice here, in this beatitude, that there is a link between peacemaking, which again has to do with establishing God's peace here on earth, okay, peace in social relationships, a manifestation of God's peace, and being identified with God as a son or heir of God. Why? Okay, why is it that in this, there's this deep connection, it seems, between peacemaking and being identified with the God of Israel as a son? Well, because this is a feature that's fundamental to who God is. To be his child is to be identified with him, and to be identified with him is to be a peacemaker. This is who God is, as Gideon proclaims, the Lord is peace. That's in Judges 6. Whereas the prophet Micah prophesied, and he shall be our peace. God himself, Yahweh, he shall be our peace. Whereas Isaiah names the Messiah, and his name shall be called Prince of Peace. This is who God is. He is our peace. And apart from him, there is no peace. There's no true and lasting peace between God and people, between people and one another. There is no lasting peace apart from God himself and his promise. As Job says, he makes peace in his high heaven. God, the peacemaker in the high heavens. Whereas the Lord himself says in Leviticus, I will give peace in the land, and you shall lie down, and none shall make you afraid. Or in Ezekiel, I will make them with them a covenant of peace. God, throughout the scriptures, is revealed as the ultimate and true peacemaker, the one who accomplishes peace, the one who sets out to bring about true and final and lasting peace for all who are his. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. So we've seen... The merciful will receive mercy. The pure in heart will see God. The peacemakers will be called sons of God. And it's appropriate and important for us to ask at this point, where all of this leaves you and I? Where does this leave us? Who of us is merciful in the way that God is? We who want revenge, who want justice for those who have wronged us. Who of us is merciful in the way that God is? We who want to protect ourselves from our enemies. Uh, we who are too self-focused oftentimes to actually love another with steadfast love and faithfulness with any power. And who of us are pure in heart, sincere, true, full of integrity and purity before God and others. We're people who lust and we hate, and we resent, and we stumble. We give in to temptation time and again. Who of us is a peacemaker? Even as the Lord is peace and is making peace, we 
are those who let jealousy get the best of us. We take sides and we talk down to make ourselves feel better, too insecure to be true harbingers of peace. Our hungering and thirsting in the end for righteousness, it falters. And we find ourselves hungering and thirsting for all the wrong things. This is who we are. Now, in saying all of this, it sounds like we're at a loss, but we're not at a loss. Because while we fail to be the blessed man, Jesus, we find to be the blessed man. While we fail to be righteous and we fail to be blessed, Jesus is righteous and invites all those who are weak and sinners, burdened by the weight of guilt and sin. He invites us, all of us, with all the things that we're ashamed of, with all of our weakness, he invites us, take refuge in me, he says. The blessed man calls out to us, take refuge in me. And this is what Psalm 1 and Psalm 2 are really about. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. And who, who is this blessed man but Jesus Christ, the true blessed man? But that Psalm 1 has a Psalm 2, and these two are connected as in the introduction to the whole Psalter. And Psalm 2 goes on to conclude, how blessed are all who take refuge in him. It's something. The blessed man, this is what it is to be blessed. It's to be righteous. The righteous man is the blessed man. But who is this righteous man? It's Jesus, and only Jesus. But, but Psalm 2 goes on to say, and blessed are all who take refuge in him. Right, the promise of blessedness, the promise of our righteousness, it turns out, is actually found in another. It's not found in you. It's not found in you, the profoundness of your goodness. It's not found in how merciful you really are, how pure you are, how much of a peacemaker you are. That's not the bottom line. The bottom line is that Jesus is all of these things. He's fulfilled the whole law, and he is our peace. And this is why the Beatitudes are what they are. Okay? They're not a promise that the blessed person is the strong and the capable, and the self-confident, or the righteous in himself person. Rather, the blessed person can only be blessed by virtue of the righteousness of another. Which leaves us poor in spirit. Mourning. Meek. It leaves the blessing to those who are not righteous in and of ourselves, but to those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. And those who, responding to the mercy of God to us, we find one who is merciful. Responding with purity of heart to the one who is pure in heart. Responding as peacemakers to the only one who can promise. Peace I leave with you, says Jesus. My peace I give to you. And I've said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the final analysis, Jesus is the blessed man. And as the blessed man, he is the righteous man. And it's in him that all are invited to find refuge and blessedness. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father, we come to you by your Spirit and in Christ the Son. And we find ourselves as a people who by ourselves would be wretched, impoverished utterly, only in need, and yet in Christ, we find ourselves called blessed. 
Father, we thank you that you invite us through your Son to find refuge in him, to find that we too can be called blessed and righteous because of the righteousness of another. And Father, we ask that by this work, this work of your Spirit through your Son, that you would also fill us up with your Spirit and make us into the kinds of people who mirror and live like Christ, who are in fact merciful, who are pure and live in great purity, who are peacemakers. Father, equip us and empower us, your church, to be your faithful servants. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Christ Church Toronto podcast. For more information about our church, you can visit our website at ChristChurchToronto.ca or email us at info at ChristChurchToronto.ca.